0: We're going to be talking about identity over the next few weeks uh, in a series that uh, we've called Identity, Who Do You Think You Are? Uh, There are intriguing stories that uh, come across our newsfeed on a pretty regular basis. Uh, One just earlier this year, in fact, I want you to meet a guy. If you haven't seen his picture, uh, maybe you'll recognize it. His name is actually Michael Boatwright. He's a U.S. Navy veteran, 61 years old. Listen to the story. The desert sun in California reported that he was found unconscious in a Palm Springs, California hotel room. When he woke up, he had no idea who he was. Can you imagine waking up one day and not having any idea who you are? Uh, before he was transported to a, a, a regional medical center there in Palm Springs, he referred to himself when he awoke as Johann Elk. Uh, But authorities found four different forms of ID that identified him as Michael Boatwright. Uh, In March of of this year, doctors diagnosed him with what is called transient global amnesia. It's an an unusual condition that is often triggered by trauma that can last for months. And this rare mental disorder is characterized, obviously, by memory loss, sudden and unplanned travel, and possible uh, adoption of a new identity. Uh, Can you imagine a forgotten identity or suffering from a disorder that would cause you to adopt a completely new identity? Uh, That's really not all that unusual when you stop and think about it. There are a lot of people who, you know, they they, they reach a point in their life where they say, you know, I just need to to find a new identity. I, I need a new me. Uh, and what they're saying, at least on some levels, is I want to find a new identity. And so uh, there are forgotten identities. You know, on a lot of levels, there are people today who are suffering from a mistaken identity. In fact, there are a lot of church people suffering from a mistaken identity. They think they are one thing. When, when it, would, it was time to fill in the blank there, I am. There are a lot of things they could put there. I am. How would you fill in that blank? I am a dad. I am a mom. I am a student. I am lost. There's a lot of different adjectives we could put there. Some people, because they believe the lies that they've been told, are inclined to put the word dumb in the blank. Some people, because they believe the lies that they've been told, are inclined to put the word awkward in the blank. Maybe you're here this morning and and you're inclined to put the word confused in the blank. Identity. Identity is a huge, huge thing. I'm excited about this series because I believe it has the potential to be the most liberating teaching that God has entrusted to me. And one of the reasons I can say that is because God has used some of these truths to do an incredible work in my life. It was a few years ago that Christy and I had the opportunity to go over to Mount Vernon for a retreat, a, a week together uh, in a place called Selah Inn at the Ranch. And I, I've, I've given testimony as to what that week meant to, to me and to us as a couple. Uh, we read through the entire book of Psalms during that week and just had a phenomenal time. One of the things that we had to agree to during that week is that we would come to the noon meal together with everybody else who was a part of that retreat. And we would discuss things. We had leaders who would, uh, they would ask us questions and different things. And they would kind of lead the discussion time. And, and, and during the course of one of those discussions, I said something. And I was sincere in saying it. But I was wrong. I said this. Being a pastor is not just what I do. It is who I am. Now that sounds awesome on the surface. And on some levels, what I meant was, being a pastor is not just a job for me, it is who I am. But what I was also saying is, being a pastor is what defines me. But that's not what God intends. You see, so many times we make the fatal mistake of believing that what I do determines who I am. And so we set out on this this quest to do all the right things, to do this, to do that, to do this, so that I can become what I want to be, or what I think I need to be, or what I think others want me to be. When in fact, God intends it to be this way. Who I am determines what I do. You see the difference? So many times we try to live it the other way around. What I do determines who I am. But God says, no, who you are determines what you do. And there's a huge difference. Identity. How would you fill in that blank? Who do you think you are? It's a question that can change everything because when you know who you are, then you know what to do. If you don't know who you are, then you don't know what to do. And that's why some people are inclined to put the word confused in the blank. See, here's what happens many times: we 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 put a word in the blank that, that that is not eternal in nature. And so many times, that's kind of the way we live life. It's in this this futile pursuit toward the next thing, and it's always changing. I mean, you think about the different stages of life. When, when you're a kid and you're heading off to school in those early years, you're kind of finding your place. You know, what kind of friends will I have? And, and as you grow older, you determine, hey, I'm, I'm kind of athletic. I, I, I think I'm an athlete. I, I, I'm, I'm a jock. Hey, you know, I'm, I, I'm smarter than a lot of the kids in my class. I, I, am, I, am I a nerd? Am I a geek? Am I a geek? And, and as you go through life, sometimes your identity kind of changes based upon the things that you find you're pretty good at or the things that you like to do or your interests or whatever. I'm a fisherman. I'm a hunter. I, and so and then as you grow a little bit older, then it becomes even more serious. But, 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 but what, what do you do to identify yourself with those different groups? Well, then you realize, I've got, got to dress a certain way. If I'm going to be that... If, if i'm gonna be cool then i gotta i gotta look cool right then if i'm gonna be this i gotta look that part and d- d- do you see the pursuit there you see what happens all the while you're trying to figure how do i fill in that crazy blank i am i trying to find myself that's why we often say that you see a young person struggling as they you know they, they, they start to enter adulthood and when we say oh he's just trying to find himself what we're saying is, he's trying to figure out his identity. He's trying to figure out who he really is. He's trying to figure out where he fits in this crazy world. Many times people are in what we call an identity crisis. And as a result, there's constant chaos and conflict. You ever felt that? And if you're inclined to think that it stops once you reach the age of 21 or become an adult, think again. Think again. Because you can put in the blank there, I am married. But then you're thinking, but I want to be a mother. (laughs) I want to be a dad. And then once you become a mom or a dad, man, everything changes. And you're right back to square one again going, who am I? (laughs) What am I doing? My whole world revolves around little people now. You see how it's just always changing. Let's ask an important question this morning. Who does God say that you are? I mean, if we're talking about identity, don't you think it's pretty important to ask ourselves the question, who does God say that I am? Let's look at the the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Let's look at the first chapter in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at verses 26 through 28 together. In verse 26, then God said, let us, that's a reference to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image According to our, here's the identity statement, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his, here's another identity statement, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then notice verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see those identity statements in there? In our image, after our likeness. That's identity language. Who are you? God says, I've made you in my image and my likeness. That's your identity. So if you want to take a few notes there on the back of your bulletin, write this down. You are created. There's probably not a person in the room who hasn't at one time or another looked in the mirror and thought to yourself, I don't like what I see. I'd like to have a little smaller nose. I'd like to have ears that were pinned back nice and neat like so-and-so. On and on and on and on it goes. And a lot of people, especially when we're younger, we're in this crazy pursuit to look different, to be different than the way God made us. But at the very heart of that attitude, you are essentially saying, I don't like the way God made me. You are created. And you're created by God Himself. Scripture says it this way, we are His workmanship. You and I are created. We're created beings. Here's the second thing I want you to notice when we consider these three verses here. You are highly favored. I, I want you to see here that, that, that there is God and then there is lower creation. It talks about the beasts of the field. It talks about the birds of the air. It talks about the fish of the sea. And between lower creation and God is mankind. We are certainly below God, but above the animals. Now, that seems rather basic, but a lot of people are confused about this. Anytime we try to establish our identity and we don't understand it biblically, it results in tragedy. You see, one of two things tends to happen we become people who think too much of ourselves and we believe we're godlike. That we're almost divine or that a spark of the divine is within us. That we're part of some divine cosmic consciousness. That we're somehow equal to God or alongside of God or we are God as some people believe. It's at the very heart of humanism. Humanism makes every effort to elevate mankind up to God's level. It's rampant in our society today. Because when you buy into that philosophical uh, way of thinking, what you were saying is, I tell you what, I get to determine what's right and what's wrong. I get to determine what I do. I'm in control of my universe. I am God. And so, uh, that's one of the things that tends to happen. Or, many times, uh, we, we take the opposite look. And we say, well, some say that that we are nothing more than highly evolved animals. We're really not above lower creation. We're just the luckiest among lower creation, uh, that really all we are is just highly evolved animals. Well, that is to think too little of us. You see, humility, the root of which literally means to know your place, is to know that your place, my place, is under God, but above lower creation. You're not an animal, You were to have dominion over them as God's image bearer. You're also not God. You're a created being. And you're here because of his divine design. You and I are highly favored. Here's the third thing that I see in these three verses you are made to reflect God's character. When he, when he says that we're made in his image and his likeness, uh, those two words are essentially synonymous. Think of, think of images of your life. Every morning, most of us, we get up and at some point we look into a mirror. Whether it's why you're fixing your face, ladies, or guys, you're at least combing your hair or, or doing something. We, we look in the mirror and, and that mirror is reflecting back to us our image, our likeness, who we are, showing us, revealing us who we are. And what God says is that though He is spirit, He wants His attributes to be visible on the earth. He wants creation to know something about Him, about His nature, about His character. And so He's made us as His image bearers. God is loving we know that and when we love we reflect his love to others particularly when we choose to love those who aren't so lovely think about it when we tell the truth we reflect the truthfulness of God to others God is forgiving When we forgive others, we're reflecting His grace and His mercy to others. God is generous, and when we're generous, we're reflecting that generosity to others. And so our life is to be one of mirroring. And the goal is not for the world to know us, but the goal is for the world to know Him. That's why we often say in church culture, we are to be making much of Him. That's why scripture teaches, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and what? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. How will the world see God through me? How can I reflect? How can I image? How can I mirror what God is in this moment? And you know what we call that? We call it worship. You see, worship is is so much more than just this time when we gather together and we sing songs to the Lord. No, our lives daily as we live them out and reflect or mirror the image, the character, the nature of God, we are performing acts of worship. What do we often say? Imitation is the sincerest form of what? Flattery. So when we imitate God, when we mirror God, when we reflect God's image, we are saying, I worship God. That's what the Bible means by worship. It means reflecting, mirroring, showing to some limited, fallen, imperfect degree because we're not God. But we're to to be a mirror to reflect who God is. Here's another thing that we see from uh, these three verses. You are blessed to be a blessing. Now what does it say here in verse 28? Then God blessed them. Now at this point... Had His creation, had they done anything yet? No. It's grace. (laughs) It's just grace. Then God blessed them. Hadn't even done anything yet. He just just blessed them. They, They didn't earn this blessing. In fact, it wouldn't be grace if it was earned. God just blessed them. What this means is that God actively loved them with a Father's affection. So many of us have this very corrupted view of God that we need to make Him bless us, manipulate Him to bless us. We have to do so that we can be. When God says, I want you to be so you'll know what to do. Two very different ways of looking at life. We're blessed to bless. Here's a big truth that I want you to get today. You'll fill in this blank there on the back of your... Worship guide if you're one who takes notes. Big truth, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. Your identity is received, it's not achieved. Now I hope that's a liberating statement to you. Because if you're one of those who can identify with filling in that blank and and you're seeing it as like this, this thing you've been, this, 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 this trek you've been on your whole life, trying to fill in that blank, trying to kind of find yourself, trying to find your niche, trying to find your place in this world so that you can, so that you can best fill in that blank. I am, you know, you're more than just a, a mom or a dad or a son or a, but what do I put there? Your identity is not achieved, it's received. It's not something you do, it's something that God does. It's not what you earn, it's what God gives. It frees you up from the performance trap. It frees you up from the competitive trap. It frees you up from the bitterness and the jealousy and the coveting that marks this crazy world in which we live. It lets you be who God made you to be and rejoice in who God made you to be and together seeking to mirror and image Him because it's not about us, it's all about Him. Well, we've got to ask a second question today because this is where many people find themselves. Our second question is this, who does Satan say you are? What we see in Genesis chapter 1 there is God tells us who he is and who we are. And then in Genesis chapter 3, if you want to just turn your attention over there, you might not even have to turn the page. Satan tells us who he thinks God is and who he thinks we are. Now, it's one of the things, if you're one of those who says, well, why should we be concerned with what Satan thinks? Or is there even really a devil? Yeah, it, the understanding that there is a very real enemy helps us understand the existence of personal evil. Satan, not God, but a created being under God who rebelled against God, an angel, an angel who was, according to the Bible, check this out, dissatisfied with his identity. Wasn't that, wasn't that the, the bottom line? Satan wanted to be God. God. He was dissatisfied with his identity. He didn't want to be under God. He wanted to be alongside of God. Or he wanted to be over God. He didn't want to obey God. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. So who do you suppose is at the very heart of humanism? Satan is. He wanted a new identity and he rebelled. And his work on on, on this earth begins in Genesis chapter 3. Satan shows up and he speaks. And the Bible says repeatedly that he is a liar, he is a deceiver, and he's a killer. He will never tell you the truth, and everything that he says will ruin you. You see, the power in a lie is this. It doesn't have to be true to destroy you. The way that a lie works is its its power is ultimately contingent upon whether or not you believe the lie. That's why Jesus says elsewhere, They shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Set them free. Satan is responsible for his lie. And you and I are responsible for our belief in his lies. So here's what Satan says to our first parents in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And I don't want you to miss this next phrase, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See the identity statement? It's right there. Know this, Satan is always going to question the clarity, the authority of the Word of God. And here he says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be, what? Like God. There's Satan's identity statement. And you say, well, well that sounds pretty good. We'll be like God. So Satan shows up, Adam and Eve, I have a way for you to be like God. You see the temptation of pride? What did God just say in Genesis chapter 1? Let's make them in our image. And what was the word? Likeness. Satan comes along and says, here's a way for you to be like God. God says, I already made you like me. What Adam should have done is he should have opened his mouth and he should have said, God already made us in his likeness. Our identity, old devil, is received from God. It's not achieved by us. But what Satan was coming along and saying, Hey, 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 if you want to be like God, you've got to do this. See how Satan always inverts the truth? Satan was saying, you've got to do this to be this. God said, be this So that you'll know what to do. Who does Satan say you are? It's amazing. Satan's going to lie to you. Satan's going to tell you your identity can be achieved by you and not received by God. So here's a big truth. Big truth. Second big truth today. Write this down. Satan wants you to commit identity idolatry. Now, what does the Bible mean when it speaks of idolatry? When we think of idolatry, we tend to think of, you know, a little carved image sitting up on the mantle somewhere, and we bow down to that image and all those things. But Ezekiel 14 says they brought their idols into their heart. The problem is really not out there. The problem is in here. That's why Scripture constantly refers to God's people as idolatrous. Now, certainly they went after other gods and all these strange things, particularly in the Old Testament, and so we're inclined today to say, well, I'm not an idolater. I don't have anything in my house that I bow down to and worship. Anytime you take something and put it in a godlike place or in place of God, that's idolatry. And one of the things that Satan loves for us to put up there is our Identity. And so we spend countless hours and tons of money and a lot of resources trying to be something when God's already said, this is what you are. It's identity, idolatry. Idolatry is when we take a created thing and we put it in the Creator's place. So what does Satan use? I'm just going to throw out a couple of them as we close today. Stuff. If you don't think that the United States of America is an idolatrous nation... You've had your head in the sand. What this means is that consumerism is now a religion, and stores are like pagan temples in many respects. Right now, there are people walking through the mall trying to figure out what their identity is. What will I wear? How will this reflect on me as a person? They're purchasing an identity. They're trying to present themselves, and that's what consumerism does. I mean, if I wear clothes with a certain label on them, then people will think this of me. If I carry this kind of handbag, then people will think... It's not about quality. Why do you think people will flock to these knockoffs and they'll buy this stuff off the black market because it's got a certain label on it or it's got a certain image on it? It's not about the quality of the product many times. It's so people will think I'm something I'm not. It's so people will think I can actually afford the real thing. It's all identity idolatry. We get so consumed with what others think of us. And here's a second one. Duties. Now this is where God really pricked my heart. Because it sounds rather pious and it sounds really spiritual to say, Being a pastor is not just what I do, it is who I am. You know the problem with that? What about those days when I'm not a very good pastor? What about those days when I struggle to know what to do as a pastor, what to say as a pastor? Does that mean I have an identity problem? Yep. Because it's in those days, it's in those hours, it's in those moments that Satan comes along and he says, you ain't a very good pastor after all, are you? you really know who you are? Did you really be a pastor? I mean, come on. What a joke. (laughs) You didn't even know what to say to that family back there, did you? You you didn't even have an answer. (laughs) And you call yourself a pastor. Yeah, it's not just what you do, is it? It's who you are. It's your identity. And if I can mess with your identity then I can destroy your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And so if your identity is wrapped up in what you do, it's my job, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm a truck driver, I'm a construction worker, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a deacon, I'm an elder, I'm a life group leader, duties. Many of them good things. Again, idols can be good things in a God place, and that's a bad thing. It may not be that you're doing the wrong thing. You're doing the right thing with the wrong motive or with the, the wrong heart. It's not to show the world God. It's to show the world how glorious you are. Where, what are your duties? What are your responsibilities? How are they going? Here's what happens. If your identity is in your duty, you try to find your thing. What's my thing? If I could just get that job, if I could just get this position, if I could just get that title, then I, then I would know who I am. And there are people who literally live their entire lives trying to get that thing, that title, that place, that identity. All the while committing identity idolatry. It's not about what you do. But, Pastor, I'm a caregiver. Pastor, I've I, 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 I got to find my thing. When you're not very good at your thing, then what do you do? Here's the truth. Listen to this. Who you are... Determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. Here's another one. Satan uses it so effectively. Others. Stuff. Duties. Others. How many of us have done things throughout our entire lives just because of what others thought of us or will think of us? It's a dangerous place to be. I'm not suggesting that we should be obnoxious, that we should be offensive, that we shouldn't care what anybody thinks. But when you become so consumed with what people think of you, how people will identify you, that you will go to great lengths to do things to impress people that you don't even really like. So you'll spend money that you don't even really have. What is that? That's identity idolatry. You see, if Satan can keep us mixed up as to who we really are, who our identity is, then he's got us right where he wants us. We're consumed with pleasing people. We're consumed with fulfilling duties and and doing things so that we can hopefully someday be something. But all along, God says, I made you. I made you. Just be who I made you to be and that will help you determine what you need to do. Get off this crazy treadmill of trying to determine who I really am. Your identity is received. It's not achieved.